0: Good morning, and welcome to our Tuesday morning Law Gospel Devotion. Every Tuesday morning, we're going to take time to look at a passage of Scripture and find what God's two words have to say to us from that passage. Usually what we do is we take a passage from the upcoming weekend, uh, upcoming weekend's lectionary. We'll look at usually not the gospel because we know that most preachers are preaching on the gospel, but we'll look at the Old Testament, the psalm, or the epistle text and dissect it, trying to find where God's law and God's gospel are. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor at Hillside Lutheran Brethren Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, which at the moment is completely and utterly covered in snow. I think we got about two feet uh, by now. I'm also a contributor at 1517, co host of the 30 Minutes in the New Testament podcast with Dan Price, and on the Relations and Development team at 1517. And I am so glad that you've taken the time to be with me here today. So today's passage is uh, out of Isaiah chapter 40. And without further ado, why don't we go ahead and pull up some slides so that we can see what that text has to say to us today. Now, first thing we're going to do each time we gather is look at the background and the setting for our passage. Now, the gospel text for this upcoming Sunday comes from Mark chapter 1 verses 29 through 39. And if I could sum up what that passage is really all about, it is Jesus's authority over all the maladies that human beings face. Our sin, our our sickness, our struggles, and of course, uh, the demonic realm, as is illustrated by our picture here of Jesus' foot being on the head of the snake, fulfilling the prophecy given in Genesis 3.15 uh, that Jesus has indeed accomplished for us. And we see pictures of that throughout his ministry as he ba- battles the demonic realm and all the things that ail us well isaiah's text is quite appropriate for this weekend because isaiah 40 proclaims comfort to god's people in the midst of exile in other words they're people that are experiencing the reality of a fallen world they're people that are experiencing the reality of their sin and yet as they're in exile it is very understandable that the people are tempted to ask from time to time is anybody out there is god actually paying attention we know that we say that Yahweh is our God, but uh, you know here we are languishing away. It's been d- decades now. We know that they were in exile for 70 years, and they're prone to thinking that God may not care, that God may not be involved. And what Isaiah writes here for in Isaiah 40 is to remind them that God is not absent in the midst of their suffering, though it often feels like it. Indeed, that is true for us as well. There might be times, there will be times, I don't even have to say might, there will be times where we'll suffer, we'll struggle and we'll wonder, does God care, does God see, does God know? It will feel like he's distant. In fact, Luther would often say that God is doing some of his greatest work when he feels most distant, but I won't get into more of that concept now. The reality is Isaiah reaffirms that God does care, that God is involved in their life, that that there is a purpose behind all of these things. Now, you might be wondering why I'm bringing up a graphic from the movie Signs. Well, I, I love that movie, but one of the reasons I bring it up here is because really the point of that movie is to show that all the things that seem to be meaningless and maybe not have much purpose to them actually do end up having purpose, actually are signs that God is involved in the midst of the, the character's lives. Mel Gibson, of course, plays the main character who's quite disillusioned with God for all the suffering that he's faced. And yet at the end of the movie, there are, there's this powerful scene where where I won't give any of it away, but um, basically he tells his brother to swing away based on making sense of all the signs that God had put before him to to battle their enemies. And indeed, Isaiah is a bit like that. Isaiah is reminding them that God is with them, that God is for them. And so the, the way you could really kind of summarize this chapter, especially this passage, is God coming to his people again saying, remember me. Remember remember who I am? Let's pick it up, verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? As Hulk Hogan used to ask all the time. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Remember, Isaiah says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Now, no doubt the people were tempted to think that people like Nebuchadnezzar or other rulers in the empire seemed to be unstoppable seemed to be uh, unbreachable. They seemed like they had an iron grip on them and that maybe they were never going to get out of this terrible exile that they were in. And yet God reminds them that in the big scheme of things, no ruler, no prince, no power is really ever around for that long. That at, at the breath of his mouth, he can blow them all away in no time. Isaiah says, remember, remember who your God is. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now, in the context of the passage, we know that God takes a moment to compare himself to the idols that his children are so prone to running after. And in fact, we are so prone to running after as well. And he, and he, point, and he looks at the idol and he describes the idol and he says, this thing is wood. This thing is nothing. It's an, it's an object. It's, it can't do anything for you. It's, a, it's just a material object. But, but I am the living God. I am the Lord who is with you, who has delivered you. So often in scripture, you're going to see the psalmists and the prophets remind God's people of what he's done for them in the past to jog their memory so that they're brought to the reality of the God that they serve once again. Lift up your, on, lift up your eyes on high and see, Isaiah says, who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Here he's referencing, as he's just talked about stretching the heavens like a curtain, he's referencing the stars in the sky. And he says, even all the stars and all the galaxies throughout all of the universe are so under my authority that I've named them and not one of them ever will go missing. Apart from my word, not one will ever go missing. I'm reminded of Jesus saying that not even one sparrow falls to the ground, apart from the father's say so. Remember, Isaiah says that no matter how powerful your adversaries may seem, that I rule over them, that God rules over them. Oftentimes to illustrate this point in the scriptures, you will hear God describe the earth as his footstool. Now, I'll gladly admit that this isn't the most uh, amazing piece of art illustrating that point, but nevertheless, it does illustrate that point. God says he's so in control, that he's so powerful, that everything that happens in this earth really is just under his feet. It's somewhere for him to relax his feet. It's not somewhere that's out of his control or too big for him to handle as much as it may feel like it sometimes. And so this is the question in light of who God is. The question is this, verse 27. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten, Jacob? And Israel, you're saying that your way is hidden from me that I don't know? Are you kidding me? Not only do I know your plight, I won't run out of energy to work on your behalf. I can't run out of energy. I can't grow faint. Unlike you, who are constantly running out of battery and needing to recharge in order to just get up day by day by day, I am the Lord of heaven and earth. I never run out of energy. And that energy is spent actually working on your behalf, my people. That's the point of what God's saying. Now, remember, as he closes up the passage, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." Now notice who the source of the strength is. Though we grow faint and weary, though we struggle, God who does not grow faint, who does not get weary, is the one who gives us all we need to run and fly like eagles. I can't help but think of one of my favorite stories from over the years of, uh, of Dick and Rick Hoyt. Now, Rick Hoyt was uh, paralyzed and could not really do much on his own. He was pretty much immobile. And yet Dick Hoyt wanted him to experience the glory of, of experiencing a, a triathlon. And so every year for many years, Dick Hoyt would take his son, who could not do anything in and of his own strength, through the whole triathlon together. And they'd finish it year after year after year. When I think about the picture God gives us here of how he ministers to his people, it is basically his people being passive like Rick Hoyt and receiving the push and the hold and the pull of our father like Dick Hoyt. So where is the law and gospel in this passage? We might be actually prone to even asking, does this passage have any law at all? And the answer is, but of course it does. Folks, we always have to remember that in the scriptures, sometimes the law or the gospel for that matter will be more implicit. It won't be uh, right out in front of your face sometimes. Sometimes a passage will just appear to have nothing but gospel. That's kind of like our passage today. Sometimes the passage of scripture will appear to have nothing but law. That just promises that just tells us the consequences for our sin, tells us uh, it threatens us with what will happen if we fall short of God's law, or will tell us the consequences that have come to us as a result of failing God's law. In fact, that's kind of what we have here, because we have to remember that the whole reason the people of God are in exile at this time, or will be, uh, it's actually written before the time that they're going into exile, so Isaiah sort of predicts what they're going to be feeling like here. We have to remember the whole reason they're in exile is because of sin and unbelief. That is in fact evidenced to us by the fact that they, they've fallen into the trap of believing their plight is hidden from God. They've they've fallen into the game that my well, my son when he was, you know, two or three years old used to play with me all the time as he'd pull his blanket over his head or, or put his hands over his eyes, saying something like, You can't see me, I can't see you, so you can't see me. Well, that was the thinking, and that's how often is that our thinking? When we're in the midst of the struggle, when we're in the midst of the strife, and we begin to think God just seems not to care, he seems not to be involved, we think because we can't see him at work that that means he's not at work. Isaiah is here to tell the people of God and us today, no, no, no. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of your exile, yes, even in the midst of your death, God is there. God is working. Just because you can't see him, he sees you. And this leads to the gospel in this passage, and and, and quite simply, it is that in his mercy and grace, God promises to renew them and bring new life out of their exile in spite of their rebellion. It is not after they have cleaned themselves up. It is not after they figured everything out that God finally shows up and says, all right, you've earned it. No, God is faithful to them, even in their faithlessness, as Paul will repeat to his uh, great protégé Timothy. God is faithful to us even when we are faithless. He is with us even when we don't recognize it or when it seems like he's not. So what are the requirements for one to receive such mercy from God? Well, I love this because really there there's not much until you get to the very end and Basically, the requirements are, requirements are be faint, <laughs> um, like, like Jesus says to those who are weary and burdened, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. That's basically what Isaiah says here. Secondly, it's to those who have no might, who recognize they have no strength to fix themselves, that they can't earn their own righteousness, or they can't earn the favor of God, that God says, those are my kind of people. That's again restated for us in Matthew chapter 5 when we hear that God says blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, who have no might. That's God's cup of tea. The people who recognize they are powerless on their own. They can't save themselves. That they need someone bigger and greater than themselves to be delivered. And then finally, it's those who wait. Now I can't help but think about Um, Moses talking to the people. As they come to the Red Sea, they're escaping from Egypt. Egypt is chasing them down. They're terrified that Egypt's going to catch up with them. And I mean, they start panicking as they always do. And Moses says, just wait, you have only to be still and silent and watch what God will do. And to their great surprise, God provides a path in the middle of the sea, and they are delivered from their enemies, the Egyptians. And so the picture given for us in this passage is really the picture of the gospel that you can find in maybe the central passage of the scriptures describing the gospel, and that's Romans 5. Maybe my favorite passage in all of the word, but notice how many similarities there are here. Paul writes this, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Not when we had gained enough strength on our own. No, when we were weak, when we had nothing to offer. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not, not after we had cleaned up our act, not after we had gotten enough righteousness points on our own. I can't tell you how many people I have met over the years that have told me, I'll come back to church once I've cleaned up my act. And God is sitting here saying, no, 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 that's not how this works. You come now as you are and let me give you the righteousness that my son, Jesus Christ, has earned on your behalf. He has died for you, even though you were still actively sinning against him. He was dying for the very people that were pounding the nails into his wrists and to his feet. Yes, it's in the midst of us being sinners that Christ dies for us, not after we've cleaned up our act. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Yes, at bottom that's the heart of the reminder that Isaiah gives to us today. That in spite of our our sin, in spite of our our struggles, in spite of the fact that we have in many ways, exiled ourselves and driven ourselves away in alienation from God, God comes pursuing us in the person and work of Jesus Christ and declares that the work that needs to be done for reconciliation is finished. And so that indeed is the message that will cause us to run and not grow faint. That is the message that will cause us to rise up like eagles. And that is the message that we place our hope in each and every day. Well, that's our devotion for this Tuesday morning, February 2nd. I hope you have a great rest of the day and a great week. May God richly bless you as you go from here.